Good morning, everybody, and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, before we begin our worship service, we have a number of announcements you can find in your bulletin. I'll call your attention to those that are occurring soonest as far as events. The first being that the Youth White Elephant Gift Exchange will take place this evening at the Brownleys at 6 p.m. Uh, after our evening worship service. Also, the Women in the Church De December Joint Circle Meeting will be held tomorrow at 1 p.m. in the choir room. And also, we'll continue with midweek on Wednesday night this week. Um, and also, we have a wedding at the church this coming weekend that all are invited to. And the women in the church are invited to Ashley Coleman's home uh, for the annual Christmas party on Saturday, December 9th from 6.30 and onwards. And you can read all of these in your bulletin and check out more. You can also look on the church website and go to the calendar section there under Connect. Uh, to, see, to follow our events. It's the first Sunday of Advent. It's the time of year we begin to celebrate our Savior's birth and the Christmas season, and we're happy that you're with us. Let's take a few moments now to prepare our hearts to worship the living and true God. We worship, of course, um, based on the first advent as we look forward to the second advent. As Christ has come, we now are living in this in-between time as we look forward to his second coming, but at which God is at work even now, and our call to worship uh, highlights this. So would you please rise for our call to worship? From Mark chapter 13. 
From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Let's pray. God, there is a day coming when you restore all things, when you will bring in the new heavens and the new earth, when you will wipe every tear from our eyes, remove all sorrow, remove all sin and death, and we look forward to that day. So as we are here gathered to worship you, we pray that you would give us hearts that are encouraged by the first advent as we look forward to the second advent. God, make us people of great hope today. Encourage our hearts and fill us by your spirit. And would you lead this worship service by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll sing our first hymn, which is hymn 194, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, hymn 194. Let's sing together.
you would remain standing, we will confess our faith, our faith together with the Apostles' Creed, which is in your bulletin. So if you would, please take your bulletin. Believer, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, ascended into hell, and for a day he rose again from the dead, ascended into heaven, at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. As we practice and reflect on Advent, we have an Old Testament reading from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, and I invite you, if you would like, you can turn there as I read. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we go into our time of prayer I was sent a prayer from a, fo- uh, from a friend who was going through a very difficult time. And this prayer was, uh, is from a book called The Valley of Vision, which is a Puritan book about prayer, with prayer. And so I'm going to use a prayer from this as we pray together as one body. So would you join me as we pray together? Dear Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly, thou hast brought me to the valley of vision where I live in the depths but see thee in the heights. Hemmed in by mountains of sin, I behold thy glory. Let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to have nothing is to possess all, that the valley is a place of vision, 
Let me find thy light in my darkness, thy life in my death, thy grace in my sin, thy glory in my valley. Lord Jesus, between the first and second advent, we are living in the depths, the valley of the shadow of death. And so we pray, help us, Father, to see you in the heights. We pray to you, Holy Spirit, guide us on the path that's sometimes so dimly lit and even at times impossible to see. And God, you promise us that even when we can't see, that you'll guide us. You'll give us a vision of your glory. So we pray that you would let us learn, Lord, that the valley is a place of vision. Help us find your light in our darkness, your grace in our sin, your glory in our valleys. God, as we think about these things, we again are reminded of those in our church who are in great need. And we pray again for Laura and for Marilyn in their valley of bodily suffering this week and recovery, that you would give them a vision for your care, of your light, of your purposes in their pain. Dear, dear Jesus, we celebrate with you for the answered prayer and healing for joy. We, we think about the things going on in this church this month. We pray that as this church gathers together at so many different things and events, that you would help us move beyond simply enjoying something or not enjoying something, but that you would help us offer ourselves to the body of this church, that you would help us not to approach church and its events as consumers, but as what we really are, as necessary parts of the body of Christ. Each person has their own gifts and abilities that the rest of the body can't go without. Lord, you have designed it this way, that we need one another. So help us to care for one another this month, especially as we see each other, as we think about those who aren't able to attend, other people, with friends. Lord, help us to move beyond surface-level conversations and make time to truly get to know others, to know their pain, to know their glories and their joy, and to help others truly know us. For you know us, Lord, completely with all our weaknesses, and yet you love us completely. We pray that you would make this the model for this church, that you would make us pilgrims bound together in the valley. God, all glory and honor and power are yours. We thank you for this time of prayer and this time of worship, and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We now pray the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite you to stand now for our next hymn, which is hymn 211. God rest ye merry gentlemen. Hymn 211.
You may be seated. At this time, we'll take up our tithes and offerings, and we give because we have been given much by God, and we trust by faith that he will make use of these tithes and offerings for his good purposes, so we'll do that now.
Uh, please pray with me. God, we are in a, a valley, but you have made it a valley of vision. And you have sent your son to go through this valley to conquer sin and death, to rise to new life, to give us great hope. So God, as we give our tithes and offerings, give us great hope. Give us great uh, expectation to see the ways in which you will work through um, our meager means. God, we thank you again for these tithes and offerings. We pray and dedicate them to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to be looking at two passages, one from Matthew's gospel and one from Luke's gospel. We'll begin in Luke or in Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6. Matthew 2, verses 1 through 6. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who is born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And now we'll turn to Luke chapter 2 and read Luke 2, 8 through 15. And in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And thus ends this reading of God's word. So today we are beginning a four-week Advent series, which I'm calling Jesus Speaks. And we're going to talk about how the incarnation of Jesus Christ speaks to humanity profoundly. Uh, Jesus' incarnation speaks to 
our humanity. It speaks to our deepest needs. It shows that Christ speaks in unexpected places. And today I want us to see that Jesus, as a human, in the incarnation, speaks our language. There are so many people now in the world who feel disconnected, misunderstood, not understood at all, who feel like they're invisible, and there's no one who can really speak their language. The Incarnation shows us that Christ, if no one else can speak your language, he can. If you know uh, the bird Charlie Parker, if you don't, you don't. If you do, you do. But he was a great jazz saxophonist. And there's a fairly well-known quote in the jazz community by Dizzy Gillespie who said, you can't steal a gift. The bird gave the world his music. And if you can hear it, you can have it. And that's Jesus. He's a gift. And if you can hear him, you can have him. And that's what I want us to see. So three points to talk about Christ speaking our language. We're going to talk about from our passages who Jesus speaks to, how he speaks to them, and where his speech leads them. So number one, who does he speak to? Well, in our two passages, he speaks to the shepherds and the wise men. When you put those two passages side by side, it, it shows you a major contrast. And shepherds are shepherds. We all know what a shepherd is. They're common working men. They're not high status. King David was a little shepherd boy, and he was seen as unimportant before he was king. But the wise men, in Greek, they're called magi. Magi means magic. They were looked at as a sort of magician. They were philosophers. They were academics. They interpreted dreams. They even interpreted the stars, which is what we're seeing happening in our passage. See, the message of Christ's birth in these texts speaks to two different groups of people in two different ways, but leads them ultimately to the same place. And Christ has been doing this ever since. He speaks to all sorts of people in all sorts of different ways, but ultimately he's leading them to himself. I want to talk about a few of my favorite testimonies that I've come across over the years of the diverse ways that Christ speaks to people. So for instance, Stephen Baldwin the actor from the famous Baldwin family, the one who actually became a Christian, he tells this story. He says, My wife and I were living in Tucson, Arizona about 16 years ago when he told the story. And through the family, we hired this cleaning woman. She's working with us for about two weeks, and my wife kind of notices her singing that she does every day in her work. Eventually, after a few days of this went on, my wife went to... Augusta, our cleaning lady, and said, you know, I noticed your singing, and I was just curious why every song you sing is about Jesus. Perhaps there's another tune in your repertoire, repertoire, so to speak. And Baldwin continued, and Augusta had a very interesting reaction to the question. She literally burst out laughing in my wife's face. And Augusta said again, understand that the reason that I'm laughing as you think the only reason that I'm here is to clean your house. But I'm actually here to tell you about Jesus. And Stephen Baldwin said his wife's life was changed on the spot. And then she came and told him about 
what had happened, and his life was changed on the spot. And they became Christians, and they're still following Christ to this day. It's like if something simple, like a cleaning lady, singing songs about Jesus, if you can hear him, you can have him. Another one I've enjoyed over the years, Brian Welch. He was called Head. He was a guitar player in a rock band who I accidentally ran into uh, in a grocery store a while back, but that's another story. That was in Nashville. But he, you know, he's covered in tattoos. He has cornrows. He plays in this heavy, heavy rock band. He tells a story that at one point in his life he was strung out on drugs. He was feeling guilty that because of being on the road touring and because of his drug use, he was neglecting his young daughter. And he's visiting with a real estate broker. And the real estate broker tells him, you know, Brian, Jesus says, come unto me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And so Brian goes home and he gets a dictionary out to look up the words weary and burdened. And he says, that's me. I'm weary and burdened. And so he goes to his real estate broker and says, can I come to church with you sometime? And he starts going to church. And he's been following Christ ever since. If you can hear him, you can have him. There's a recent convert to Christianity named Ayan Hirsi Ali. She's a Somalian-American who grew up Muslim but left the religion and became a major advocate for atheism during the new atheism movement. Her stuff is out there if you want to look her up. But she said in her atheism, her life was spiraling out of control. She was racked with anxiety and depression. She was heavily self-medicating. She said she drank enough alcohol over one period of time that she could have made a whole hospital clean with it. And so she's sterilized was the word I was looking for. She could have sterilized a whole hospital with the alcohol she was consuming. So she starts going to a therapist and the therapist says, you're spiritually bankrupt. It might be a good idea for you if you add some religion to your life. And she says to the therapist, you know, I grew up religious, but the God that I grew up supposedly worshiping and serving, you know, created us to punish us. He created us to terrorize us. And I grew up believing in, the, in a horror show, especially as a woman. As, you know, as a woman, as a girl, you were just told that you were trash. And she says, so the therapist responded to her, okay, you don't have to believe in that God, but you need some sort of spirituality in your life. So what if you just made up a God? What if you just took a piece of paper and said, if there was a God whom I would worship, this is what he would look like. So I and Hersi Ali starts writing down, this is what a good God would look like. And by the time she got done with her list, she said, everything I had written down were things I had heard about Jesus. He's the perfect God. I just never saw it. But then she saw it. And now she's a believer. See, if you can hear him, you can have him. Why can Jesus speak to people that are so diverse? Here's what G.K. Chesterton says. 
If I found a key on the road and discovered it fit and opened a particular lock at my house, I would assume most likely that the key was made by the lockmaker. And if I find a set of teachings set out in pre-modern oriental society that has proven itself of such universal validity that it has fascinated and satisfied millions of people in every century, including the best minds in history and the simplest hearts, that it has made itself at home in virtually every culture, inspired masterpieces of beauty in every field of art, continues to grow rapidly and spread and assert itself in lands where a century ago the name of Jesus was not even heard. If such teaching so obviously fits the locks of so many human hearts in so many times and so many places, are they likely to be the work of a deceiver or fool? In fact, it is more likely that they were, discern, they were designed by the heart maker himself. See, Jesus speaks to the hearts of shepherds and astrologers, fishermen and philosophers, musician and magi, actors and activists, tax collectors and thieves, men and women, boys and girls, children of all ages. And I mean this literally. Not just your age as a person, but in every era, in every age. The name of Jesus Christ will not go away because he's continuing to speak. He is the Word made flesh. And he's always speaking. Speaking to everyone. And if you can hear him, you can have him. Now, so he speaks to everyone. Well, number two, how does he speak? For Stephen Baldwin, it was through a cleaning lady. For Brian Welch, it was through a real estate agent. For I and her, see Ali, it was through a therapist. For the shepherds, it was through a multitude of angels praising God for the birth of Christ. For the wise men, it was through a star shining in the heavens. You know, Jesus is the only way to the Father. But it seems like there are a thousand, a million different ways to Jesus because we all have our stories, and they're all different of how we first heard him speak to us. So think about how he speaks to the shepherds. They're nobodies. And he sends them the greatest choir of angels the earth has ever seen. I still, I think about that angel choir showing up sometimes. Pitch black night, the story is telling us, and these shining angelic hosts come singing praises to God. And they got these shepherds' attentions, to say the least. He takes these humble men, and he puts them in the middle of the angel choir. It's like he's lifting them up to heaven. And you say, well, I've never seen an angel choir. I'm not in the midst of the angel choir. Well, Luke 15.10 says, Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over every single sinner who repents. That means every time someone hears Christ and responds to him, there's an angel party. And I'm a nobody. Nobody. But I think when I get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to walk up to an angel and say, what kind of party did y'all have when I first heard the voice of Jesus and repented of my sins? Well, see, the Magi don't get the angels. They get a sign in the heavens. They get a star. And all their life's work, studying those stars to that point, 
was telling them that a human being had been born on the earth who is not only a king, but a king who deserves to be worshipped, the God-man. Now, how does Jesus speak? He speaks precisely in the language that you need to hear to tell you that you need Jesus. And that looks different for all of us. If you look at how Jesus spoke to people in the Bible, he's always speaking to them differently according to their needs. But he's always leading them to the same place. Give you a couple, a couple examples I thought about this week. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus meets a Gentile woman who comes to him and says, Jesus, I need you to heal my child. My child is possessed with a demon. And Jesus responds to this Gentile and says, it's not right for me to give the, the children's food to a dog. It's biting. It's almost sarcastic. You don't think of Jesus speaking that way. But she says, all right, but even the dogs can sit under the table and eat the scraps that fall from the table. And Jesus says, woman, you have mega faith. Go your way. Your daughter is made well. Now he can, so he can speak with biting sarcasm, but he can also be so tender and so gentle. In the same chapter in Mark 7, Jesus meets a man who's deaf and mute. And it's such a strange story. It says in verse 3 of that chapter, taking this man aside from the crowd privately, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. Jesus, it's, it's odd. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He touches the man's tongue. He spits on the ground. He groans. He looks up to heaven. What is he doing? Well, this man is a deaf mute. And so Jesus is essentially speaking a sort of sign language to him. He's saying, these, I'm going to fix them. This, I'm going to fix them. Where is it going to come from? He looks up to heaven. It's going to come from heaven. God is going to heal you. Now Jesus can speak through angels. He can speak through biting sarcasm. He can speak through a star. He can speak to people who can't even physically hear. Charles Spurgeon said, only here is the first lesson of the wise men. If I should ever be, it should ever be, that men should fail to preach the gospel. God can conduct souls to his son by a star. Say not only by a star, but by a stone, a bird, a blade of grass, a drop of dew. Remember that omnipotence has servants everywhere. Omnipotence can have a servant cleaning your house or trying to sell your house or sitting behind a psychiatrist's table. The king has servants on the ground, in the sky, and above the sky. He can just show up. He can speak anywhere to anyone, any way he chooses. And if you can hear him, you can have him. Why is Jesus' language so universal? Why can he reach so many different people in so many different ways? The best explanation I've ever heard of that is S.M. Lockridge and his sermon, That's My King. If you haven't heard it, when you go home this afternoon, you need to look it up. Because I'm not going to say this nearly as well as he says this. But this is what he says. The Bible says, 
Jesus is the king of Israel. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. Now that's my king. David says, The heavens declare his glory, and the firmament, firmament showeth his handiwork. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's inter- eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's enduringly strong. He's God's son. He's the sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. I wonder, do you know him? He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. My king is the key of knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. He's the master of the mighty. He's the captain of the conquerors. He's the head of the heroes. He's the leader of the legislators. He's the overseer of the overcomers. He's the governor of the governors. He's the prince of the princes. He's the king of ages. And he's the Lord of lords. I wonder if you know him. That's my king. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. I'm trying to tell you. The heaven of heavens can't contain him, let alone a man explain him. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hands. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. He always has been, and he always will be. He had no predecessor, and he'll have no successor. There was nobody before him, and there'll be nobody after him. You can't impeach him. And he's not going to resign. That's my king. I wonder if you know him. This king, he's the heart maker. And that means if you have a heart, then he can speak to you. He can speak to you. He has the key. And if you can hear him, you can have him. Because omnipotence has servants everywhere. Even in this church today. Finally. Jesus can speak to anyone. He can speak to anyone anywhere. Where does that speech lead? Well, the angels led the shepherds to Bethlehem to see the newborn Christ. Where did the star lead the wise men? Not to Bethlehem, actually. Matthew 2, 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, 
in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? The star led them to Jerusalem, not to Bethlehem. But then the king, in verse 4, says he did this, assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The star led them to Jerusalem. And then the king calls together the preachers and the teachers and says, explain to me where this child is born so that I can tell these men. See, the star wasn't enough. They needed the scriptures to explain where the star was pointing. It's important to say this because there are a lot of people out there uh, who are interested in Christianity now, especially younger folks, who are questioning, should I really become part of it? church? And the answer is absolutely. Because the church has the scriptures which are ultimately going to explain to you who Jesus is in details that you're not going to get just lurking around on the internet googling stuff or you know whatever. But once you have the scriptures you have stars in front of you all the time but you don't think about where they're pointing. But the scriptures tell you where they're pointing. They're pointing us to Jesus. Once you have the scriptures, every star will go before you. It will lead you to Christ. Now, omnipotence has servants everywhere. I've been reading a book uh, about creativity by Rick Rubin, the music producer extraordinaire. He's done all sorts of things. And the book is called The Creative Act. And he says the key to being creative, and as a preacher I relate to this very deeply, very much, He says the key to being creative is to live in a state of constant openness that the world or the universe, he would call it, might be trying to reveal something to you at any moment. It might give you the inspiration to write a song. It might give the inspiration for a work of art to write the next novel, you know, whatever it might be. And he says, quote, material for our work surrounds us at every turn. It's woven into conversation, nature, chance encounters, and existing works of art. We receive messages all the time if we remain open to them. They're ever-present, but they're easy to miss. If we aren't looking for them, they'll pass by us without us ever knowing. Now imagine if the wise men had seen that star, this message that was coming to them, and they just didn't notice they weren't open to receiving. What do they do? We, never, we would have never heard of them. They would have never heard of Jesus. And that's the end of the story. But Reuben says, uh, You might imagine that the outside world is a conveyor belt with a stream of small packages on it, always going by. The first step is to notice the conveyor belt is there. And then, any time you want... You can pick up one of those packages, unwrap it, and see what's inside. There's a sense in which that's the Christian life. Not us trying to be creative, not about writing novels and the like. But God has created this 
wide world with all the wonders that are in it. And the heavens are declaring his glory. All things were made to glorify him. It's this giant conveyor belt of glory, 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 and it's passing by. And Christmas and the Incarnation reminds us, notice it. Just stop and notice. And when something glorious comes by, take the time to take that box off the conveyor belt, open it up, look inside, and rejoice. I've told this story before, but one time I was watching a, a church service on, online, and they had a children's sermon during the service. And the minister had a box, and the, the kids come forward, and the minister said, okay, kids, I want you to guess what's in the box. And one of the kids who had been trained how to properly answer questions in Sunday school and in children's sermons, what's in the box? The child said, Jesus! And the minister said, no, 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 Jesus isn't in the box. And that thought came to me, that, that came back to me this week, and I thought, you know, Maybe that was the wrong answer. Who says Jesus can't be in that box? Omnipotence has servants everywhere. You know, Gerard Manley Hopkins says, great quote from one of his poems, Christ plays in 10,000 places. And I think he underestimated. Christ can play at an angel party for the shepherds and a star for the wise men a box in a children's sermon, a shoe box like our Operation Christmas Child boxes that we sent out. Who knows what he could do with that box? Don't let that conveyor belt of glory pass you by during this Advent season. Take the time to notice the glory that's being set before you, to take a box off that conveyor belt, to open it up. Christ is the heart maker. If you have a heart, he can speak to you. And if you can hear him, you can have him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this Advent season now where we get to think about the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who was rich, all for love's sake, became poor so that he might come to our help, come to our aid, and redeem us because of your steadfast love and mercy toward your people. Would you help us during this Advent season, not just to be filled with nostalgia, though nostalgia can be very good, not just to be filled with joy at we get time off from school or some extra time off from work or maybe a bonus in our bank account, but to truly meditate on the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both God and man, coming as God to save mankind. Would you help us then in this season to be lost in wonder, love, and praise? For we have a glorious King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand now together and sing hymn number 203, Hark the Herald Angels Sing.
That's my king. I wonder if you know him. Receive God's blessing now. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.